Welcome to Let's Get to Work, a podcast with stories of hope and inspiration for people experiencing blindness and vision loss, as well as those wanting to support us. Brought to you by the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, a place where we talk about all things employment, from finding jobs, holding jobs, building careers, and challenging stigmas. Each podcast will consist of interviews with two visually impaired people who have chosen to travel down unique career paths. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get to work. Welcome to Let's Get to Work. This is Peter Altro from the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, and I'm here to interview Helen Kobeck. Hi, Helen. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining us. Happily. So according to your bio, if I have this correct, you are an accent modifier. Uh, to talk about what an accent modifier does. Sure, sure. And my 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 more formal title is accent modification instructor. Oh, uh, that's better. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what I do is I tutor. I do one-on-one tutoring only with, with adults um, of all ages, mostly folks who are non-native English speakers who are fluent in English but have a hard time being understood. So I meet one-on-one with them once or twice a week and help modify their pronunciation to the place where either they're understood all the time or if they so wish, I help them get to the place where they sound like they were natively born and are native English speakers, which is less common for them to want to do, but sometimes people do want to do that. So talk about, I'm a client and I come in and I want you to help me modify my weird accent. (laughs) Talk about how the process works. What do you look for? How do you have the conversation? How do your sessions work? Sure, of course. So um, somebody will email me oftentimes. So you might've emailed me and said, I'd like to meet with you. And then I say, the next step is for us to talk over the phone on some type of clear line, ideally a landline. Um, so I can hear that somebody, so, so I'd be able to hear that you are fluent enough to make really good use of accent modification instruction. The, the problem is if somebody's not fluent in English and they're trying to learn English and modify an accent at the same time, it is very, very hard. It's it's oftentimes an exercise in frustration. So I try to be very sure that someone is, that, that you would be very, very fluent in English. So I do that through like a five-minute conversation, just listening to your grammar and how you put words together and and get a sense of your vocabulary and that type of thing. And then I'd be listening for the granularity of your accent and what the um, what the speech sounds are that would need to be changed. And then we make an appointment. And all of the lessons that I have are an hour and a half long, just about. And for the first lesson, it would be 45 minutes of, uh, for lack of a better, more gentle word, assessment, um, <laughs> where I am asking you, dozens and dozens of questions, the answers to which I will not remember because I'm listening for your speech pattern and your your, your um, pronunciation. So, you know, days of the week, months of the year, um, seasons of the year, where do you work? Where, where did you go to school? What do you do with your free time? And I'm asking questions, just lots and lots of different non-yes or no questions to get a sense uh, of the very fine detail of how you pronounce your vowels, your consonants, your consonant blends, your diphthongs, your monothongs of, of your vowels, 
how different sounds are placed and pronounced well or not so well or easily in different contexts or between words. Do you drop S's? Are there particular speech sounds that are especially hard? So I'm listening for that. I also ask, you know, what kind of difficulties have you found? What what kind of words or speech sounds have people talking to you? Have they asked you to say it again? What did you say? What did you say? And, you know, and I actually usually ask people to make a list of those things before our first lesson so they can come in with a little bit of something. And so I would do a very complicated, detailed assessment of your speech pattern. And, um, and what I'm doing for that very first lesson is listening for the two phonemes that most urgently or most importantly need to be changed in order for me to help you get to the place where you're understood all the time. And, and a phoneme, of course, is the smallest speech sound in any language that can change the meaning of a word. So the, in the word love, L is a phoneme, the a uh sound is a phoneme, the is a phoneme. And then, but the word, if you put in the word, the, this, the, uh, the phoneme W, that completely changes the meaning and makes it a very confusing word, wav. Mm -hmm. So I'm listening for the first, usually one consonant and one vowel, because I want to get a sense of how someone learns and how I can mix in with teaching them. What do I need to do to modify how I teach? Because everybody learns differently. And then I'd have a, a lesson for the next 45 minutes. It's a lesson on modifying that, that um, O sound into a diphthong for like a Spanish O. We want to move it into a diphthong sound, which is O, which is two, two, two vowel sounds. So, um, you know, just sort of doing that kind of thing. And then a consonant, which is oftentimes an R, which we need to foster a standard American R. And, um, yeah, and so that's it. And then by the end of the lesson, I get a sense as to how you, what your learning style is. You get a sense of what my teaching style is. And I'm asking you along the way, how are you doing with this? Are we getting at, are we getting at this in a way that is helpful or supportive? And I have, I've been doing this for decades now. So I have in my, my bag of, of, of teaching tools, so to speak, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different ways of going after a certain modification or a certain shift that needs to be made. And then we talk at the end, how does this work? Do you feel like you want to go forward with this? And if we do, we meet, you know, once or twice a week, um, usually for about two months. After about two months, someone will notice something really different. They'll notice people are asking them to be repeated less often and asking them, oh, where are you from? Much less often. And, um, and then we go on for about six months. In about six months, if somebody is know, pretty assiduous in their practice and attention, they can get to the place where they're understood all the time. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's great work. It, mm -hmm. It's awesome. And really, and I would imagine really needed for, for many and many people, you know, they want to, they yeah. want to sound more American, right? I'm imagining right. that's sort of, sort of what this is about. And, and mm -hmm. more easily understood. Um, yes. And yeah. uh, no, that's terrific. So, yeah. To talk about uh, uh, how, did, how did you find this career for yourself? Sure. I went to undergraduate school at Emerson College in, as a communication disorders major. And the natural... Let, 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 me, let me stop you there oh, for course, a second, yes. if you don't mind. Uh, what is a communications... Why that major? Why a communications disorder major? 
I, I just liked, I liked helping people communicate. I think that unless we can communicate with each other, then we are in trouble. It's, life is really to a degree, no matter how we communicate, whether it's through a, you know, English or another language or ASL or through a typing board or using our eyes to, to you know, communicate, I'm not happy or I need water or something like that. Communication is how we keep going and how we, how we live, how we survive with other people um, and within ourselves. So, but the, I, uh, yes, and uh, communications disorder, you know, is is a is an I can see it's important, but mm-hmm. I could never imagine myself growing up being interested in communication disorder. So, I guess what I'm curious about is what prompted you? Was there what prompts you to get interested in that particular area of of help, if you will? You know, I'm not. I can't say that I honestly know for sure. I just, okay. you know, <laughs> went okay. to school and decided to go to Emerson College. And um, I, I just knew that I was fascinated also, I guess, with language and with speech and, you know, verbal communication. And, you know, I had a, I had a strong interest in helping people. I guess maybe I could say, ah, now that I'm thinking of it, um, through high school, I worked my way through high school to save for college, being a nurse's aide in a nursing home. Ah. So I did see firsthand how much suffering there was for people who had strokes, uh, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, uh, had various types of injuries, and just felt like, oh, this is really, sometimes they would just sit there and sob because they couldn't say what they needed to say. They couldn't tell me how they were feeling. They couldn't tell me how they wanted their sock put on differently. Um, it would just be an exercise in frustration, and it was so painful. So, you know, I think if anything, that was, you know, that four years of nurses' aid work um, drew me into the hearts of people who were suffering to be able to communicate. And then I went to Emerson. I did expect to become a speech pathologist. So I did, you know, my four years of schooling, and I during those t- during those years, I did practicums with children. Um, who were um, who identified as as learning as language learning delayed, and then I did practicums practicing in rehab centers and nursing homes, and worked with people who had had strokes and people who'd you know had various kinds of injuries or you know um, head injuries or you know um, seizure disorders that ended up making it difficult for them to communicate, and. Um, and sometime in the beginning of my freshman or sophomore year, I was working my way through college tutoring in the student tutoring program. I was tutoring math and history and science. And then somebody said, hey, would you like to try your hand at being a paid tutor for somebody who is hypernasal and <laughs> also has uh, an accent that's making it hard for be, her to be understood in school? So I said, sure. And I did it. And I just fell in love with it and decided actually not to become a speech pathologist. I didn't get a master's degree in that, but I, you know, assiduously studied uh, phonetics and learned how to transcribe. And I volunteered to teach a graduate and doctoral program during the summer in phonetics to teach uh, those students how to uh, transcribe in, in into the international phonetic alphabet. And I just I loved it and um, went on to work a little bit at, at MIT, uh, doing some research and transcription of infant phonetics, the, the, the physics of infant speech, their 
vowels. And so, you know, I just basically shifted gears to away from the, um, the medical need and the necessity of that to people who need just as much to be able to be understood as people who've had strokes and, and accidents and things like that. Sure. So can you talk about how your blindness fits into all this? Oh, sure. Um, well, we all know <laughs> that we are perceived as having better hearing than sighted people do. And, and what I can say is that my hearing, we, I think we all, we all know this, oh, we use our hearing differently and we tune into our hearing better um, because that's our primary mode of information gathering. So, um, you know, I would say that the, the fine, fine detail of when I'm listening to somebody make a speech sound or a phoneme that isn't quite right because my because I'm tuned in through my hearing, I'm not deaf blind. I'm tuned in through my hearing. I'm able to say, okay, you need to move your tongue about four millimeters forward and move the lateral release down more quickly by about a half of a second to get that L. So I'm able to really hear the really fine acoustics because accent modification is really the study of and the teaching of modifying the acoustics of the mouth and the nose and the throat to get the sound that you want. It's it's thought of as being an accent, and it is certainly about accent, but it's really acoustic phonetics of the speech mechanism, so to speak. Sure. Um, sure. So, uh, so, you know, I think just being able to hear much, much, much better or tune into my hearing much, much better I do find that sometimes when people are looking for a teacher, an accent modification instructor, and they see, they Google me and they see that I wrote something about how to learn Braille when you're later in life and various things they put together that I'm vision impaired too or blind. And then they believe that I would be better at this than perhaps a sighted person would be. Interesting. So, so, so um, yes. were you, were you born blind? What was, what was your visual blindness trajectory growing up? So I was born legally blind in my right eye. I had an infection in utero. So I was born legally blind in my right eye, but they didn't know that. They just knew that my right eye was wandering around because it wasn't being used. So they did some surgery and to make it stick in one place, yeah. um, through business surgery. And I had full sight until I was eight and a half years old. And um, at which point the infection soared up and reactivated and and took the central vision and some of my peripheral vision in my left eye. So I became legally blind when I was about 10 years old. And so um, when you did all this work, uh, you, you said in high school you were a nurse's aide, if I have that correct? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. you, you had some vision during that time. How, how did, when you did that work, uh, was having less vision a problem for you? I mean, how much of a problem was it? It's probably the better way to ask that question. Um, it was, you know, the, the, the nurse's aid work is really just intimate caretaking, you know, getting people ready for bed. I worked the three to 11 shift. Mm -hmm. So it was really getting people ready for bed, getting them to the bathroom, showering them. It was, um, it didn't require any kind of vision. I mean, people knew that I was vision impaired, but I was kind mm -hmm. and attentive and flexible. So I was requested a lot as a nurse's aide. When I would get in on shift, they would know that I was there. So I asked for me. The only thing that I really needed accommodation for was um, doing what are called, what were the weekly 
so what were called TPRs or temperature pulse respiration. So I didn't have devices that would allow me to do that. So I would, you know, I, it was a little bit harder. I had a very good magnifying glass mm -hmm. for blood pressure. Um, for blood pressure, I wasn't able to do it. I didn't have the equipment to do that. So I'm 60 now. So I was 18. That was back, you know, a long time ago. Sure. Um, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. But people were, you know, my supervisor was nice and, you know, she would either do those things for me or I would sit with her and, and I would just sort of make notes of what she did, but then she would write them out for me and fill in. <laughs> charting was difficult. I can sure. say that charting, I had to sit with somebody at the end of my shift and dictate to them what I needed to have charted um, at the time. So that did, was- Did you know time. Braille? Did you know Braille at that time? I, I knew, I didn't. Um, I began learning Braille and then it was, it wasn't something that was able to be continued for me. So I learned, I studied it for, in junior high school for maybe- couple of months okay and then stopped and you know people i this is this might not be something to to share but it, it happens in real life i was i was um sexually harassed um really sexually threatened by my uh, itinerant teacher student when he was teaching me braille and it was very frightening and intimidating so i dropped braille i don't blame you yeah i, I couldn't tell anyone um, I didn't know what to do, but it was sure. terrifying. And so then I picked up Braille about 10 years ago uh, and taught myself as a later adult. Um, so I hope it's okay that I'm mentioning that it's a real world thing. It's no, no, I, I, I yeah. you know, I, I really, I appreciate it that, that these stories are important for people to hear. Yeah. So in college, yeah. uh, you were doing a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, you were doing internships. You were doing uh, a bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of accommodations did you have and what did you learn from all those experiences that, that have helped you do the work you currently do today? Hmm. Okay. Um, accommodations. I had readers. I had lots and lots of different readers that um, I either paid privately for the commission for the blind um, paid for or helped me pay for. And then I had some volunteers to read to me. Uh, I did some reading by by audio so some things were available by, by audio but not nearly as much as there is now so we're talking you know 1979 to 19 you know 83 84 so it was much 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 lesser then and um yeah so i i had just a lot of people who were able to read things to me it was it was definitely more challenging and it, it's probably easier to go to school now than it was then but um what did I learn that made, in terms of my being able to do this, the work that I do now? Um, yeah, or or just in general, being able to do work, you know, uh, you know, uh, the work that I know, you know, what what other work you've done? I mean, you you know, college is is supposed to, in an ideal world, prepare you for the for mm -hmm. the work world. Yeah, and I'm so yeah. curious, you know, what you learned from college that that has helped you succeed in the work world. Sure. Well, I learned. I think that learn that basically in life, you always have to be able to be a teacher. Um, you have to be able to step up to the plate and be willing and interested in really helping people and tuning into, you know, tuning into what it is that somebody needs, what their limitations, what their fears, what their concerns, what whatever blocks might be there. You have to be able to have a great deal of empathy towards everybody in whatever it is that you're 
wanting to bring to your to your life. So being able to empathize and teach and, and also be humble and to be willing to learn and ask for help when you're not sure about how to do something or need an accommodation, asking for help. Yeah. And for the work that I do, just an incredible amount of patience, like Miguel was saying, just being very patient, very attentive um, for, and because I started doing this work when I was in college, I, I figured out, I mean, to a degree, it was my personality too, or maybe just because I was like really interested in, in you know, sort of a phonetics geek, uh, you know, a, you have to be willing to work on the R sound for three months every single week <laughs> and, and not expect it's going to get better immediately. Although I had a student, I just started with a student, Haitian Creole um, language native speaker. I was like, okay, we need to give you a standard American R. And she picked it up in about a half an hour. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And there's some context, you know, at the end of a word, it's going to be harder after the T it's going to be harder after a D it's going to be harder. But, you know, she was, ju- she was literally jumping up and down and dancing, but she was 20 years old and she'd never made an R. Wow. So, um, and to get to there, sometimes it can take months and then it's kind of like, okay, move your tongue back by, uh, you know, two millimeters. Okay. Tense it up. Okay. You know, look at mine. And then I will go into the camera, have them look at my tongue when I was meeting in person, I would have them put on a, a surgical glove and feel the tension in my tongue. And then they could mimic the tension in my tongue, hoping I didn't gag or you know, <laughs> choke. <laughs> um, so, and I also learned, you know, having fun, the, the brain learns with humor and fun and, and being silly and easy. And, you know, so much when I start with students, they're scared and they're maybe a little angry and that they have to do this. Some people have to do it because they'll lose their job. And, you know, I I basically say, you know, the brain changes, that's going to change on its own. You know, I'm going to give your brain some, something to be confused about and your brain will take up the cause and it will work on it. Even if you don't do it on purpose, you know, your brain will be working on it. And this is light and this is fun and we are going to laugh together. And that's how you'll, that's how your brain will make this change that will then tell your mouth what to do. So um, all those things. No, that's so cool. And that's a great answer, but what, what a thought, you know, learning is supposed to be fun. That's the, you know, that's what any educator will tell you that if you get too serious, uh, too heavy, you know, the learning slows down. It just, just, it just does. Yeah. And, and having to being able to trust our brains, there's, there's a post on my um, blog that says the brain takes up the cause and, we all know this, but I, it's, it's effortful to get students to believe this, that, that accent modification is really not heavy. It's, it's, it's um, detailed, it's granular, it's fine. And the more fluent and the more advanced someone is in pronunciation, the, the more granular and nitty gritty, so to speak, I don't want to use that, that expression, nitty gritty, sorry, but the more granular it gets, um, but there's a post that I have where everybody knows the experience of trying to remember the name of an actress in a particular film. And it was with Bruce Willis. And who was that? And you work on your brain, you work and you work. And who is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then at two o'clock in the morning, you wake up and it's like, Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> and because your brain is working on it, it's gotten this ambiguity. The brain doesn't like in like things being unclear. So the brain is like, okay, you waking Peter 
might not be working on this now, but I'm going to keep working on it because I can't stand this ambiguity. <laughs> I need to know. Um, kind of like how the brain fills in the blind spot where the, the retina goes off to the optic nerve. It's a mm-hmm. huge blind spot, sure. but it's not empty. The brain fills in within a nanosecond what it thinks is there. <clears throat> so the brain, the work that I do, I really try to help people understand the brain is an incredible buddy to you and um, just trust your brain and trust your humor. And, and then it's a, it's a beautiful experience. So uh, before we go, um, we were talking on the phone, I don't know, a few days ago, and you mentioned that you, uh, you do a couple other things on, in addition to this accent modification structure stuff. Can you briefly talk about the other work you do? Oh, sure. Thank you for asking. So I'm also a writer and um, I write a lot of creative things and I have some things that are published and I did publish a book about, wow, a long time ago, like four or four, five, was it seven years ago. Wow. It's, um, it's a book called Everyday Cruelty and it's about how cruelty affects us in body, mind and spirit and why it's so difficult to shake on a daily basis. So I do some book talks and um, do some sales of my book, you know, from home and do some book talks in person, mostly on Zoom now. And then the other piece of work that I do, some people in the community will be familiar with this. I'm on a kind of a trade sales uh, listserv called Blind Ads, which is beautifully run by Laz. And so I'm on there, you know, offering things that I find for sale. I also have some some um, people who have me looking for things for them particular. So I'm sort of to a degree, like a, um, a personal shopper for some people on that list. And I, I spend a lot of time giving a lot of detailed writing description of items that I'm selling so that people know exactly what they're getting and there's no surprises and, and no heartbreak and they aren't parting with their money wrongfully uh, sure. for something that they're not expecting. So those are the three main things that I do. All right. Um, yeah. Um, thank, thank you for that. And, and, I, and I, I asked that question because I think as time continues, there are going to be more people uh, doing multiple careers at the same time. I think this yes. nine to five career thing is going to be less, less of a thing over time than it is now. Yes. And so I think, you know, I think, I think folks like you are going to be more and more uh, in, you know, more and more, not majority perhaps, but, certainly uh, more of a thing. In closing, yeah. could you, um, what advice would you give to a, a blind person uh, who might be interested in doing the kind of work you do? Sure. Do you mean the accent modification work or? In oh, just, 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 just in general, uh, not, not, uh, perhaps that work, but just in general, what, 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 for the work you've done over the years, mm-hmm. what, what, what advice might you give a, a younger blind fo- person who is, beginning to start his or her career? Oh, um, create opportunities for yourself to learn more. Like, um, like when I mentioned that I, I initiated doing a, um, an independent study where I would teach graduate and PhD students at, um, phonetics because in, in seriously to teach is to learn twice. Yeah. So I approached the director, the, the person who was running the department of communication disorders and said, I know I'm only a sophomore in college, but I really would like to 
try my hand at teaching phonetics to, you know, very advanced students, masters, PhDs. I would like to develop the curriculum. I would like to teach the whole course throughout the, the whole summer and to be evaluated. And, and, it, and they looked at me and they thought, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. And <laughs> it was, it was, um, it was a risk. It was taking a risk and it was hard to do. And I kind of bolstered myself, but so that's one thing I would say is just to take risks, ask to try some things, ask for the help that you need in terms of accommodation, accommodations and, and try be open to being able to teach in different ways and to be playful, just bring play into everything that you do and bring warmth and humor into into everything that you do because that will carry that will carry just all of it through thank you so much oh and just know that we are not lesser (laughs) that you know we we know that we in our in our bones in our our essences we know that we are just as good and and just glory in that and feel Feel your strength and never listen to anybody who says, well, you can't do that. I mean, there's some things, yeah, I can't do. But, you know, by and large, I everything that I tried to do, I did and I did very, very well. And, um, you know, feel feel good about it. And I would be happy to talk with people who want to do accent modification work. To do that, you just need to learn the International Phonetic Alphabet. And I learned it in Braille, too, so I can do it on Apex a braille note apex. So, you know, there's some details of it, but, um, you know, it's, uh, and, you know, again, if there's, if you are contacted and someone wants to reach out to me as to, you know, how they can get into accent modification work, I'd be happy to talk with people. That'd be terrific. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for your time. And thanks for that advice. That's all very good advice. And I appreciate mm-hmm. your, your, your here uh, at uh, let's get to work podcast. And mm-hmm. thank you for your time. It was absolutely my pleasure. My pleasure indeed. Thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to Let's Get to Work, a podcast from the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind. Have questions, episode ideas, or feedback? Feel free to email Brooke Jostet, the committee chair, at B-R-O-O-K-E underscore J-O-S-T-A-D at Comcast.net. Until next time, work it.